Thank you, Rod. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. I'm going to uh, ask you to go in your Bibles to, to Mark chapter 4 and Mark chapter 5. Today was kind of a catch-up Sunday um, uh, from the, the snow day that we missed, and I'm also going to remind you we're going to continue to be going through uh, the Gospel of Mark chapter by chapter. So just one chapter next week, you'll be, we'll be in Mark chapter 6 next Sunday. So I encourage you to read uh, Mark chapter 6 this week in preparation uh, for our message next Sunday. And so um, th- this morning we're going to have to cover just a, a couple of chapters today. And I'm not going to go in detail about all of the, both of these chapters by any means. I'm really just going to be picking a text this morning. Um, and so, but I want to just begin uh, with a simple word of prayer and jump in because we've got a few different, uh, few different thoughts uh, to share this morning. So let's begin with a word of prayer. Jesus, you're alive. I thank you for each and every one that has come this morning, that now we get the privilege of opening up your word and allowing it to speak to us in this moment. We could have heard these words before. We could have heard this passage at some point in our life, and maybe it meant something different. Maybe we didn't notice anything, uh, or, or maybe, Lord, that we were distracted. But in this moment, I pray our hearts would be soft, that we would be, our ears would be open, that we would be ready to hear what you are speaking to us in such a time as this, and most importantly, that we would respond to it. So, Lord, awaken us to your presence. Awaken us to your call. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, since I'm, I'm not going to cover chapter 4, you may notice in chapter 4 that you see, if, if, again, I want to encourage you to look at your Bibles when we're doing this, whether it's an electronic one, uh, whether it's a, uh, a, a you know, hard copy Bible. The one I'm not looking for is the one right here. Oh, I got this. I remember this text. It's, it's right here. I want you to be able to actually look at a Bible while we're going through the Gospel of Mark because we're going to be pulling right from the text, and, and, and context is important, so things are relevant. The things before and the things after are always relevant and connected to each other. And you notice in, in Mark chapter 4, there's a few different parables there. And parables are obviously short stories, stories that kind of prove a point, and Jesus is often asked many times why he speaks in parables. Well, Rabbis oftentimes of those days would, would speak in parables as well, and so this wasn't a completely uh, you know, profound new thing that Jesus was doing, but Jesus' parables were different. They were kind of like revolutionary. They, 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 they gave different perspectives in ways that the, the, the rabbis of that time were doing. And, and when Jesus kind of answers you know, why he speaks in parables, everybody's kind of wanting some black and white words, but words don't often work at times. And if you know if somebody's ever told you a story, a story doesn't explain all of the details. If if I were to give you a theological point in a story, that wouldn't probably explain all of the details for you, would it? It would just get, well, here's the way, here's what God is like. And Mark 4, 26 through 29 is a great example of that. Here's what he says. I just want to read this parable here. It says, He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scattered seed on the ground, and night and day, whether he sleeps and get up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, 
and then the full kernel and in the head. And as soon as the grain and ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. And now I'm, as I'm reading that passage, I know we have a couple of farmers in here. And, and I ha- can't help but wonder if, if we've, like Clint and Jake, have you really figured out the science yet of everything of how all the seed works? I'm just curious. Well, all the science that goes through everything and how it actually produces what it produces? Just yes or no? No, good. You still haven't figured it out yet. How this little seed does everything that it does, right? I don't know either. I'm asking you. You, you guys are the experts. So they still say no, and he, uh, Clint's looking at Jake. So I guess you guys don't got it all figured out either. And this is kind of like what the Lord is saying when he speaks in parables. He's like, you're not going to figure all this out. You know why? Because you're not God, and I am. But let me tell you what the kingdom of God is like. But part of what's going on here is that He's longing for his creation to continue that pursuit. To, the, long, the Lord longs for you to keep seeking, to keep growing, to keep changing, to allow the spirit of the living God to transform you. Remember last week's message? It was called multiple choice. Sometimes as Christians, we think and want it to just be as easy as checking the box. Is Jesus possessed by demons? Is Jesus out of his mind? Is Jesus the son of God? Check, son of God. I win. I got it all figured out. And the Lord's like, it's, it doesn't really work that way. If you believe I'm the son of God, then it's going to mean something that, that is required of your life. And this is, this is part of the, the mystery. As he tells parables, he can get a point across, but still... Uh, you call his people to keep seeking him, to keep growing in their faith, to have new experiences in their faith. And that's the title of today's message, actually. When we get into Mark, we're going to get into Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. We're going to call this new found faith. We see three different... We're going to see a few different examples as we unpack this text, and it's a lot of passage, so I'm not going to read all of it at once. I'm just going to read as we get to each point. But I want to tell you as we, we begin to study this newfound faith that whatever point in your life you have come to, it is okay, it is required that you continue to grow in your faith. It, it is the call of the Lord that you, can, you believe God for something that you've never believed him for before. To seek him in a way that you've never sought him for before. And so when you see, we see a few different examples in scripture in this passage in Mark chapter 21 through 43 of newfound faith. So we're going to begin first in Mark 21 verse 24. And if you got your Mark 5 verse 21 through 24, if you got your Bibles, you probably just got to flip a page. And we're going to stay right there in Mark chapter 4 and 5. So Mark 5, verse 21 begins. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him. He said, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. Jesus went with him. Now, the first one I want to talk about is going to be the easiest one for you to understand because we all have had this faith at some point in time. 
We all get this faith. These moments come up. We've had, honestly, I know me and, and praying for Joe, we've had these kind of moments lately. And here's what it's called. Anxious faith. All of a sudden we have this newfound faith because something isn't right. Something is, is not looking good or, or something has happened and changed in our life that we are not comfortable with. And we find our faith quickly like, okay, something has to happen. Something has to change now. And, and all of a sudden we have a little bit more persistence in prayer. We have a little bit more persistence in seeking this newfound persistence that we didn't have a moment ago because of circumstances that are taking place in our life. How many of you, if we're honest, have you ever had anxious faith before, right? We know what this one feels like. This one's familiar to us. And they say that this guy was a synagogue leader. That does, by the way, that doesn't necessarily mean he was a Pharisee. Um, the synagogue leaders were people that were technically in charge of the synagogues. That means they could be asking various Pharisees, various teachers to come into the synagogue. Because regardless, the point uh, doesn't change the text. The point is that this guy, <coughs> whatever his feelings about Jesus were in this moment, in this moment when his daughter is dying, yeah, he's a seeker. I hear this miracle worker out here. I'm going to go find this guy. And see if he can heal my daughter. Now, you, we understand Jarius's point. The point where he, where he was living life as normal. Now, all of a sudden, he has this newfound faith that is based on circumstances. He didn't need God as much before, but he needs him now. And you know what, church? The Lord responds even to our anxious faith. The Lord welcomes our anxious faith. But here's the part we have so much trouble with, as that he responds on his time, not ours. Let me say that again. He welcomes our anxious faith, but he responds on his time and not ours. If you would read the rest of this passage, which we will, you notice that the next, next thing that happens is this woman comes and that we see more ministry that Jesus does. Jesus doesn't necessarily act like he's in a hurry to get to Jairus's house. And Jairus is sure as heck in a hurry. His daughter is dying. Jesus continues to minister as he's on his way to Jairus's house, very similar to what happened when Lazarus died. But so the Lord is going to work on his time. But you know that time is always where the relationship happens. You know, wouldn't that be great if, if you would consider in your relationship, you think of some of your relationships and that many of them are oftentimes just transactional. If they're just transactional, it's the person I see at the store. It's the person that whenever I need a service, I call. Uh, and, and sometimes even it's, it's just, just that way, whether you go see somebody at a crowd because your kids do some of the same things or whatever, sometimes those, those relationships just feel transactional. And most people, whether they want to admit it or not, that walk this earth are all, oftentimes longing for something more, more than just a transactional relationship. You know what I mean by transactional? I give you this and you give me this. I talk to you now because we're here together. We might as well talk. Those kind of things. We're longing for something more. And one of the things that, that puts that stamp on that something more is having a history with something, having some time between, the time when you just are present with each other with no agenda because you've chosen uh, to, to be with this person. You see where I'm getting at here? I hope you, you have your, your relationship with your, with your spouse, of course, is like that. Your relationship with your kids and your parents, of course, is like that. But this is also 
what the Lord is calling us to in our relationship with him, this mystery, this powerful thing that happens in the waiting. I've preached many messages before on what God does in our life in the waiting. So this is the first one, this anxious faith. And what we need to learn about anxious faith is that God responds to it, but he responds to it on his time. And something changes in the midst of the waiting. And by the way, his time could be right now. His time could be right now in this moment. But he responds to the, to the waiting. And so whether or not either something has changed because God has changed it, something gets changed because the Lord has changed it, or something gets changed in us because we've chosen to wait and we've chosen to see things from his perspective and get a bigger view than just our need. So I hope we learn to understand the, the way the Lord responds to us in our anxious faith moments. Next, I want to go into Mark 5, 24 through 34. I want to read what happens next. After it says, so Jesus went with him, a large crowd followed and pressed around him. Everywhere Jesus went, he seemed like he always had a crowd, and the crowd became a problem. We've been talking about this before, right? And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. And immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized the power had gone out from him, and he turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask, Who touched me? Like, basically, they're saying, Everyone's touching you, Jesus. What are you talking about? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your sufferings. Now, this next thing we see in this woman is what I want to call audacious faith. You know, you get the word audacity because she was not supposed to be doing what she was doing. With the issue that she had, that she was supposed to be outside of camp She was not supposed to be touching or near other people because not according to Roman law, according to religious, according to Jewish law, she would make them unclean. And wow, that she would have the audacity to go and touch the rabbi, the teacher, Jesus, and then touch his cloak and make him unclean. See, it took some audacity for this woman to do what she was doing in this moment. Now, I've told you when we started this series, so, so for, for, her to, for, for her to be healed, she had to disobey the religious custom of the days and get to Jesus. Let's just sit with this one for a minute. She had to pursue God in a way that other religious people would tell her it was wrong. Now, I told you that Mark, the Gospel of Mark is full of stories like this. It's kind of part of this 
this theme of Mark. Remember when we did our first one, we talked about it was kind of like Mark's campfire opening. Now, I shared that most scholars believe that Mark is Peter's penman, okay? Mark is really writing this story on the account of, of, of Peter himself, all right? You remember Peter. Peter's the guy who, before, um, when the people come to arrest Jesus, he's there with the sword and cuts off the dude's, dude's ear. He's ready to stand beside because he has this, this, this thinking, as many disciples do, that this is our king and we're ready to go fight for him. You know, Peter's got all this, all, he's, he's got all this testosterone fired up. He's ready to go for Jesus. And now we're seeing Peter, after all of this had happened, sharing this account of who Jesus was and what he did. Here's what I'm, here's what I'm trying to tell you. This is where Peter... <laughs> This is where Peter is placing now his testosterone. Let me show you these people that didn't give a rip about the customs of the day. They didn't give a rip about people telling them to calm down and, 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 be, and act normal and act religious and sit comfortably in your pew and don't get a little bit excited every once in a while. Do what everybody else is telling you. Peter's saying these are the people that they knew coming after Jesus was a pursuit and they knew it was something that was worth fighting for. We were at a, a ball game last night, and um, it was for the, basically for the league title, and we hoped it would be a good game, but it really wasn't. But anyway, it was pretty intense when everything started, and, and it, like, you know, how it is, because you know that if, you, if you're on the, the, the side that your team's losing, if you yell at the refs and scream at them a lot, you will make your team do better. It's just how it works. And you'll make them, you know, change their calls automatically. If you have enough hatred and hostility in your voice and, and your eyes get real big and point, you know, and then things will change for your team. It will go well for you and your team. You guys understand how this works? And Mandy walks up. She walks back up and she says, uh, gosh, what is that? It smells like B.O. What is that smell? I said, Mandy, that's testosterone. <laughs> Everybody here. Is, they're all sweating it. It's, it's actually called, an, an, I think it's anadr, an, an, uh, I wrote it down. I don't know the word of this first time I've ever used it. Androsterone. And, androstenone is that, that piece that comes out of your, when you start to sweat this kind of like fight kind of energy. And it can smell like two things. It can smell like urine or vanilla. So whichever one. But, but that's oftentimes which we, which we see in these moments when we, when we have this kind of level of intensity, I want, you, I want to take you into this story because this is what Peter, as he shares this gospel, this is what we see in him. We see him telling this story. And guys, he's not just doing it so a preacher like me can stand up on Sunday morning and you can think this is neat. He's talking to you. He's saying, I want you to get this kind of energy, this kind of fire, this kind of pursuit for the living God. Look at all these crazy people that they didn't care. They didn't care what everybody else told them. They knew they had to have a personal, real, authentic relationship with the living God. And they didn't care. They pushed others aside and went after Jesus. See, Peter began to channel that testosterone into the story of the gospel. This was his new fight. He wasn't going to be picking up his sword anymore. But he was going to be pursuing the living God. He was going to be drawing near and knew that there would be obstacles, that there would be people that would want to kill him just because he was declaring the name of Jesus. This is how the gospel began. 
we oftentimes want to put it all into our comfortable box and make it work for us in ways that's incredibly convenient. Peter's, Peter's telling us that pursuing Christ was always meant to be a fight. It was always meant to be something that in a moment in your life that you would come across some audacious faith. It says, I don't know, I've never really been here before with the Lord, but I'm going to push harder. I'm going to go deeper. And finally, here's the last piece we see in Mark 35, 35 through 43. While Jesus was still speaking, some of the people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? (laughs) Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. It's a 12-year-old girl, remember. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. And then verse 40, it says, but they laughed at him. And I love this piece too. And after he put them all out, will y'all get out of here? (laughs) He took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. And at this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Now, there's something. So, so first of all, the, the, let's notice Jarius' pursuit. Jarius is pursuing this healer when his daughter is sick. When he had anxious faith, right? Would he still pursue Christ when his daughter was dead. This is kind of the question that's being posed here at, the, at this piece of the text as we begin to read it. And Jesus makes his way back to Jairus' house. And he, he, he makes this statement about this, this girl is not dead but asleep. And it says those, that, those begin to laugh at him. And what we sense the Lord doing here is what I want to call accurate faith because because see what's happening with Jarius is well we've seen this guy can heal people so my daughter's dead my daughter is dead now so you know he's a healer he can't really now do this now that she's dead as people laughed at him when he came in accurate faith recognized that oh wait a second this is the son of God He can do anything. He kept a few. He kept his disciples who had been seeing what he was doing all throughout his journey, not just a couple miracles and heard the stories. The disciples have been with them from the beginning. They've been hearing all of his teaching right along with the miracles. They've been seeing even the people that he didn't heal, even the crowds that he left 
that, that, he, that he pushed away from so he could do other things and other people that he didn't heal, right? Sometimes we don't read about those things in the story. But, but so, so I have to, as I was studying this, I, ha- I really started to wonder. I was like, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. What was it that the Lord needed? What was going on in this moment that he wanted these people to be in the room? Well, a big piece of that is right there. They had accurate faith. He didn't want them just to think of Jesus as another healer. They needed to be, all of these things were a part of a story that they needed to recognize him as a son of God. But, God, but church, I've never, as a pastor, I can never say God needs our faith. Because he's the son of God. He doesn't need any ED us for anything. So what is going on here? Because we see these kind of references and passages in Mark 6 through 4 through 6. In Mark 6 through 4 to 6, it talks about a prophet not being, not having honor within his hometown and that, that he could not do many miracles there. And first, but I don't have this one completely figured out, but 1 Corinthians 14 talks about the supernatural, the supernatural, the purpose of the supernatural being for the edification of the church, the building up of the church. Okay, I don't know if you see what I'm getting at here, putting these pieces together. See, there's some people that, that no matter what God does in their midst, that people still think he's just a miracle. There's this guy, by the way, there's this guy, You hope maybe you've heard of him, maybe you haven't. His name's Ed Bassmaster, and he's got this little YouTube video that he does when he goes into gyms, and he's real, kind of like a real skinny guy, he walks into gyms, and he kind of puffs his arms out like this, and he finds a guy lifting like the biggest weight, and just walks by him, and is like, Psh, and then finds somebody else that's lifting, that he's like this real skinny guy, and that's this thing he just does, Psh, okay, everybody do that with me one time, Psh. it's like, well, sometimes the Lord could be working in our midst, and our attitude about it could be like, Psh, whatever, And I want you to notice that that's actually what Jesus is addressing right here. (laughs) My miracles are meant to happen for the edification of the church. So that the people that are seeing and experiencing these things, their eyes would be open. They would have a bigger view of who the living God is and not just coming along for the show. I don't know how he did that, but it's not, he's not the real thing. We need to get rid of this guy. There's a lot of people throughout Scripture that just came along for the show. And some people, the work of God actually brings frustration to them because it can cause inconvenience, but others, it edifies. Others, it causes their faith to grow. It causes their faith to expand. It causes them to come to a point where they could say, Ah, maybe I don't have it all figured out. And God, you are much bigger than the box that I built around you. Come on, here's what Ephesians 3.20 says. Which one of these is going on with you at this moment in your life? Do we continue to just have a attitude about the living God? And, can, and, and continue to build our box around him. This is all I've experienced. This is all God is. This is how he works. This is what he does. Are we growing in him and being expanded and having Ephesians 3.20 kind of faith that says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask, imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. Come on. 
a God that is bigger than what you have always known, a God that is bigger than one person, a God that is bigger than what you are comfortable with, a God that is bigger and, and that you find, a God that you find in the change and do not limit in the change. This is the accurate faith that he was calling his disciples to. You keep, it's, it's like he's looking at all of the people around him in this, this time. Y'all keep putting these boxes around me, and I'm going to break them every time. I'm going to bust through them every time. As I shared it last week, our expectations are so often the problem. So I, I need to share with you one last story in closing that really does have to do uh, in, in a lot of ways with this idea of, of a God that is bigger than what we've always known, a God that's bigger just than a season, a God that is with us in the change. In Acts chapter 8, 26 through 40, I'm not going to read through this passage. I'm just going to reference it in these moments. But Acts, verses 20, Acts 8, verses 26 through 40 tells a story about Philip, the disciple Philip and the Ethiopian. Philip gets called by God and sent to this Ethiopian, Ethiopian who is reading the book of Isaiah. As this guy's reading the book of Isaiah, Philip comes along. This, this Ethiopian's kind of wondering, well, how does this all of this piece together? And Philip begins to tell him the gospel of Jesus Christ. He begins to fill in some of the holes. He begins to fill in some of the holes for this Ethiopian. And in this moment, this Ethiopian's what's, what's keeping me now from being baptized? What's keeping me now from being saved? And Philip goes and baptizes this Ethiopian. And then, wouldn't it be great if the story was Philip and the Ethiopian continued on happily ever after? Philip began to disciple the Ethiopian, and Philip and the Ethiopian became really close. Actually, here's what it said. He said, when they came up, verses 39 in Acts 8, it says, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. And verse 40 talks about how Philip continued to do ministry. Verse 39 they were great. Basically, we see an attitude of being grateful and went on their way rejoicing. And verse 40, Philip continued to do ministry. The Spirit of the Lord had told Philip, had, had been speaking to Philip about a time to move on, a time to transition. And, and all I ever get out of this passage is that when it comes to ministry, when it comes to ministry, the living God is in charge. We, you know, we could sit around and say this story all the time as we read this text. Well, wouldn't it be nice if Philip just spent a little bit more time with the Ethiopian? They, they could actually, you know, he could actually disciple them a little bit longer. But that season for Philip and the Ethiopian in that moment had ended quickly. See, the Lord determines the seasons. Some last a little longer than others. And so, 
as I know, you know, 80% of you already know, you know, in this room what I want to share with all of you today. But that that season is, is coming to an end for me in, in my time here as your pastor. It has been my privilege to serve this congregation for a season of nine years. And after years of careful discernment and consideration, I do believe it is time for the church to pursue some new pastoral guidance. And yesterday we met uh, just to kind of determine a timetable and begin to consider some details for some of these things. And, and we've got, this isn't goodbye anytime soon, where the date, the, the target date that we came up with yesterday uh, was May 22nd. Um, that time could come possibly maybe a month before that, possibly come a little bit later. So we certainly have some flexibility in this process. Um, but I want you to know as we begin this, the, there's already going to be a pastoral search team that's meeting today and already beginning to take some first steps uh, in, you know, towards, towards this, this new season. Um, as you know, many of you know, you, I mean, for some of you know, Mandy and I, we won't be going far. Our intentions aren't to be going far from here. So we know that in a few months, our relationship as your pastor will change. But I hope certainly not the friendship. And in the months ahead, I do hope that we get a chance to connect personally and not to, to scare anybody or anything. I will not be here next week, but I'm going to, you know, some people have to go on tough trips with their kids to Florida sometimes for cheer competitions. And just, just one of the things I feel like I need to sacrifice and sign up to do. So I won't be here uh, next Sunday, uh, but we will be back uh, the following week and on into May 22nd again is what we, what we have at this point marked as a last, as a potential last Sunday. So church, uh, you know, as again, we consider this our formal announcement, so it's certainly no, no secret or anything anymore. We try to keep these things kind of boxed in until the time is right, and the time is right now. And so, um, you know, we'll, we'll be preparing, and, and you, you guys will be a part of that process, especially if we have some other candidates that will be open to coming in in between now and May 22nd. Uh, and so, I want us to, to just quickly review even what we just shared because moments of change are moments that often call us to a time of newfound faith. Remember, we know what anxious faith's like, that faith that all of a sudden we found it because we need to, because our circumstances have changed. Audacious faith that causes us to push away our status quo, the things we've always held on to, what we've always known. But most importantly is that we have accurate faith. Faith that is based on the truth of who Jesus said he was. He is the son of the living God. No matter what season we are in, in life, church, and ministry, we must all together continue to grow in our faith. So let me pray for you as we close today. Well, Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Lord, that, that it reminds us in each time. We could have read these passages many times before, but, Lord, your word calls us to get out of our comfort zone and believe you for something bigger than what we experience, bigger than what we've expected, and bigger than the box that maybe we have built around you. So, Lord, open our hearts and our eyes to believe in you as the living God. Awaken us to your presence and your call in this moment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to invite you to stand this morning for your benediction.
May you grow in your walk with the Lord and find new faith that allows you to believe in him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. God bless you and have a wonderful week. Bless the